Hey everybody, welcome back to Terminus, the Mountain Dew Flamin' Hot of Extreme Metal Podcasts. I am the Death Metal Guy, aka Elon Musk buys out Century Media to shut it down and restart Olympic recordings. Ooh. And I <laughs> and I am the black metal guy, aka Aussie Black Thrash meets uh anime gore grind band called Vormonger. Ooh, that's that's solid. That's that's got to be done already. <laughs> let, let, let's see. Let's see. Vormonger. I like that. Uh, nope, not on Metal Archives. Uh, there is a uh, a user profile on DeviantArt named Vormonger. I bet that's exactly what we expect it is. <laughs> well, I know where they get the cover art. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We, we, there's your commission opportunity yeah, right yeah. there. So, oh man. <sighs> Can you redo that, but make her really muscular, too, and give her a battle axe? <laughs> I like it when she, they're strong and they eat me. <laughs> okay, okay, so re- real quick, real quick, before we do anything, because I've literally forgotten to do this on, like, the past four episodes. If you really like what you're hearing here, feel free to follow us on, on social wondering. media. Dude, I fucking forgot, like, the past four episodes. I'm so bad at this. You'd think at episode 92 I would have that lockdown. Absolutely not. So if you if you really like this and you want to follow us on social media, you follow me, the Death Metal Guy, on Facebook at Terminus Podcast, or you follow the Black Metal Guy on Instagram at Terminus Extreme Metal. Additionally, if you really, really like it and you want to join the Terminus Co-Prosperity Sphere, you can do that on Patreon or Subscribestar. $3 and up gets you access to the Terminus Prime bonus episodes. $5 and up gets you access to our private Discord server where we discuss Quebecois separatism. And uh, $10 and up gets you access to voting rights to decide what the, uh, what the Terminus Prime bonus episodes are going to be about. Thank God, now I can forget about it for the next month. <laughs> you could also leave us a review on Apple Podcasts if you use it. Although, oh, yeah, yeah. Although, funnily, like, uh, I, I think, like, not that many of our viewers, use, listeners use it, which no, kind of makes sense. No, I think they use, um, I think everyone's just using Podcast Addict or Spotify, pretty much. Mm. I saw, it, like, there was, I can see a breakdown somewhere on Podbean or something, but I don't know. It's the, the intersection between people who use actively use Apple Podcasts and people who like, uh, you know, um, own the Bakira demo on tape is probably very small. <laughs> I always like it when it's something really bizarre. It's like, who's listening to us on Tidal? Like, somebody's listening to us on Tidal. <laughs> like, nobody has that shit. Come on, man. Oh, Okay. Well, yeah, no, so uh, we're back. I am uh, sitting here with my uh, my ankle that I managed to destroy, tripping over absolutely nothing the other night, so that was cool. <laughs> How'd it go? How are you doing? Uh, I walk around like a pirate right now. Um, after, <laughs> after, after about six hours of icing it between today and yesterday, I'm somewhat more ambulatory. So uh, okay, that's good. I should. I, I am able to uh, get to the bathroom without crying. So that's that's that's, that's a big step. Definitely, up. definitely not broken though. No, no, it's not broken. Um, no, it's just really badly sprained. I got really like shitty, weak little bird ankles, so I roll mm. them really easy. And when I do, it's really bad. I mean, yesterday I, was, I almost sent you a picture. It looked like I had a fucking cantaloupe stapled to my leg. Oh, bud, <laughs> it was so bad. Well, I'm glad you're doing better. Um, <laughs> it's all good. Oh man. So, so 
Yeah, let's talk about let's talk about records and hey, hey, black metal guy. Th- this isn't a metal album. <laughs> um yeah, so uh the other week with that Ahulabrum record, I uh I put my um hobnail booted foot through the door into getting uh, sort of weird ritual industrial drone noise music on the show. And uh, now I'm uh, throwing open the gates with The Lamp of No Light by Ten Horned Beast on Cold Spring Records or Productions or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, <clears throat> so Ten Horned Beast is a... Uh, personal favorite of mine that's honestly like a band that's kind of been inspiring to me on a lot of levels which i'll make clear in a sec but um uh it's the the best way of describing the sound is it's grounded in sort of ominous heavy guitar drone uh so it's sort of like sun right sun or any of those drone metal bands but the sensibility is really different um, this is sort of uh, the organizing principle is like ritual industrial or post-industrial music. Um, uh, a lot of sort of um, there's, you know, it, there's synth, there's sampling, there's timpani interrupting it. Uh, there's um, a kind of, uh, you know, there's sort of like gongs and crashes uh, the the mood kind of comes from coil especially the more meditative and and or sinister coil tracks uh and the technique really comes from i think i'm sure he listens to those drone metal bands but uh i think he listens to a lot of skullflower also who's really sort of one of the masters of weaponized feedback and sort of like sculpting feedback into melodic structures and also somebody who has a very serious interest in the occult um so yeah the best 10 horned beast record is probably hunts and wars in 2010 at least for my taste which will probably be similar to our listeners like it's called hunts and wars it's the metal one it's the one that sounds most like if you wished rdd was like really heavy and conan the barbarian um uh and yeah, more of a martial industrial vibe on that one. Um, and the last record was, it's been a while since we've heard from him. Last one was 2017, Death Has No Companion. I haven't gone back to it. I remember it being really bleak and austere, like too much even for me. Um, his 2013 one, Alfame, is more like beautiful, dark, ambient type stuff with a drone, and I've been listening to that lately. Other than that, other background info, um, You've probably heard me talk about this guy before, right? Yeah, no, you've talked about Ten Horn Beast on the show several times. I think we've used it as a uh, used it as like an interlude before, possibly, and we've definitely used good segue his earlier project Endura or Endura. I think it's Endura, but with a V because you know industrial. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> it's um, and that that was a project he had in the. 90s with a guy named Stephen Pennock. Um, and it was more like sort of Marshall Industrial or something like Coil. Um, 
Stephen was more of the songs guy. He has a really nice voice, and uh, Christopher was more of the sounds guy, doing and making you know, uh, kind of like, um, uh, sort of spiritually driven Age of Empires soundtrack music <laughs> with very primitive digital synth. Um, and that they, the, they, there would be a great range of feelings across those records. Uh, um, and the other thing that like is worth knowing about this guy is he's a really good writer. And I may have found him from the Blogspot scene back in the day. He had a, there's tenhornbeast.blogspot.com is still up, which is awesome. Hasn't been updated in a decade, but it's, uh, it's, it's there as an artifact. Um, and there he would post photos and write about wilderness tracking and like finding megaliths in the uh, northern English wilds uh, and sort of link that, of course, to, you know, sort of pagan esotericism and uh, to the weird fiction writers who were sort of influenced both Lovecraft and Tolkien. So he turned me on to stuff like uh, um, Arthur Machen or uh, Lord Dunsany. Um, so that's, so yeah, it's it's a, a hermet, a core hermetic wizard dude is this guy. And I think it's important to have that sense of the personality before you get into it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, now, uh, you know, now death metal guy, what do you make of this? Uh, it's 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 hard for me to articulate. So this is, I think this is one of those things I'm really out of my depth on. Um, I think this is probably connected to a whole like musical lineage that I'm not that familiar with. Mm-hmm. I think I think this is one of the places where it shows that like my knowledge of like ambient and drone and industrial and what have you is really like I got into all that stuff like from the metal scene. Um, you know, guys doing side projects that kind of like introduced me to some of those sounds. And then I found the real thing after, you know, etc. cetera, no, real thing in quotes. I mean, some of the side project stuff is good. Plenty of it's crap, but you know, like any quick example for people. Oh, you know, I don't know any of the side projects by, uh, by Michael Ford from black funeral who does all his like weird kind of knocking black industrial ambient stuff mm-hmm. or, uh, you know, just, or just listening to ambient stuff found in black metal, listening to like Burzum's ambient stuff, you know, that's sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, 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 fair enough. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that's... I mean, the, the early, the Endura stuff could also be called Dungeon Synth. Yeah. It was certainly, in existed in the time when the stuff, before it was called that, back mm-hmm. when some of it was good. Yeah. And um, so I think, uh, I mean, there's no wrong way to get into a style of music. I mean, in a sense, but it definitely does like prime you differently. And I think when I listen to this stuff, it's not bad, but it's also just like it feels extremely familiar um, in terms of it sounding a lot like ambient made by metal guys. You know what I mean? Uh, Similar sort of fixations. Uh, in the sound, the sort of the minimal delivery, the really like deep pounding tones, some of the weird synth stuff. So for me, this strikes me as sounding extremely conventional, but I know if I had a broader perspective of like the actual lineage this is pulling on, this is probably pretty eccentric. Like, does that sound fair? 
I think so, yeah. I don't know the side project stuff you're talking about. So I, like... Um, oh, I just had so much random crap when I was younger. Yeah, <laughs> are you so thinking, much like, stuff. is this stuff like Emit? Um, emit, not, emit doesn't really noise, right? emit doesn't really sound like this, but yeah, yeah, there was a lot of black metal guys doing kind of like noisy industrial or like droning dark ambience or like a, a LLN ambient stuff, you know? Okay, yeah, this guy probably likes abruptum. Um, mm-hmm. Weirdly, as far as I know, his greatest obsession in metal, I'm sure he likes heavier metal and just doesn't talk about it, but like the stuff that he re- or more extreme metal, but he has a passion for new wave of British heavy metal. Well, that's cool. Yeah. Well, he seems to have a, a passion for sort of Britishisms in general. Yes, this is very, very sort of, uh, um, very Anglo, like, yeah, very, very deep England music, highly rooted. Yeah. Right. So, and then in addition to all that, it's like, I guess my, my thing that it's like, you could take this any sort of way. Um, none of this is bad. I mean, plenty of it is like basically good to me. But I guess my thing is, like, it doesn't have much of an opportunity to be bad, you know? Um, My argument about this kind of music in general, one of my misgivings with it has always been, I would compare it, it's almost like doing Funeral Doom. In a sense, it's very easy to make solid, listenable Funeral Doom, because the the constituent parts just sound good together. Um, it's very hard to make truly excellent funeral doom. And I think that's kind of a similar thing with this style of droning dark ambient stuff, you know, whatever title you want to give it. A lot of these sounds just naturally sound good together. Um, But I think it's very challenging, especially when you're dealing with such minimal pieces to make something really great out of it. Just because you don't have a ton to work with and you're going to be dealing with such like minute, precise fluctuations of the same general principles. The, the line dividing something good from something great is so subtle. It's almost invisible. Yeah. People apply this test also to noise musicians, right? Can you like a noise music counts as music. If you can imagine him playing live and fucking up. Right. Yeah, can you can you imagine bad noise music in yeah. comparison to good noise music? And I definitely can, but I'm way more experienced with that than this, probably. Yeah, so I get how this is kind of like stuff like Abruptum and whatnot. Um, it's my question would be how important is feedback manipulation to these things you're referencing? I I would say that most of the stuff that I'm talking about, the stuff that I actively listen to still. Mm-hmm tends to be on the noisier side, but there was a ton of stuff that I heard back in the day. A lot of stuff that I just can't remember because I just stumbled into Mm -hmm. these CDs at random that was more like this, or it was kind of like minimal beat-driven stuff. Um, It was usually a little bit more synth-focused, where this is a little bit more like sample and tape loop-focused. So I think I think a lot of the the feedback is coming... I would assume the feedback is coming from a guitar. Do you think it's not? I think it's a possibility. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, certain. There's a lot of different kinds of feedback on this record. The 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 hottest, most aggressive stuff yes, in the middle of the record. I think that's digital, just because of the tone. It sounds like sort of digitized distortion, but I could be completely incorrect. No, you you could be right. Um, uh, and I think there have been some changes around in format. I'm pretty sure back in the day he was using live like real bass because you could hear thunking tones now it's being carried by 
bass synths, which mm. are he also used back then. Um, but yeah, so what what I would say to the like, would it be poss- Is it possible to fuck this up, right? Or is this kind of a low risk strategy? Is yeah. So one thing that sets so one thing that sets Ten Horn Beast apart within the tradition it's in, sure, is the kind of semi metalism is uh, the aggressive feedback, um, is the sort of low-end heaviness. Um, but also, uh, in, in terms... So I guess that speaks more to its uniqueness, sorry. Uh, but in terms of your question about the, m- the sort of can-you-mess-it-up thing, I think this is actually much more structured than aspects of some of his old stuff. So I'll get into that with the uh, first sample. Okay. Um, this is uh, Into the Mouth of Hell. So at the end there, you start to get that sort of uh, squalling high-end feedback creeping in, right? And mm-hmm. it sort of swells and subsides. Uh, and that's kind of the, the focal point of a lot of this record. Uh, but we had a lot, I pulled a lot at the beginning of it so that uh, we could listen to the sort of the 
undercarriage of the music. Yeah, I mean, to be clear, this is impossible to sample just because it's this kind of music. <laughs> hey, we, we, I think we found some good parts, though. Well, um, yeah, yeah, but it's like to get the proper agglutinative effect, you have to listen to whole songs. Sure, abso- absolutely. Yeah, someone there could be like, okay, well, that's the intro to an album, right? Um, uh, but so on the old stuff, which was more dense in the arrangements, right? It seemed to me like the there would be this kind of um, wandering, extremely atonal bass lines that seemed uh, like they were probably improvised. There would be like extremely sudden um, things would just suddenly happen at much higher speeds than they'd been happening before, and then just like silence and that they'd like happen again Mm -hmm. um it there was a just it seemed to like it was weird it was like the uh the thing that you would think of as the bedrock of the music was actually this kind of like semi-continuous punctuation Mm -hmm. uh and was um one of the most difficult abrasive parts of it here, you get some of that, right? The bass tones are very low and distorted. Uh, they are still really chromatic. Um, but spacing them out like this as sort of synth pulses, um, he's paying, I think, a lot more attention to the individual phrases and how they relate to each other. Um, and it seems more... Even the... I think the guitar playing on this is more melodic than some of his old stuff. Um, And the bass... I'm also... I'm going off memory on some of this, right? But there seems to be focusing in on certain guitar phrases in this. Um, The bass has this kind of... um, More of a shape to it. Um, it, the, The... You get these sort of similar repeating phrases that are definitely reminiscent of his older stuff but uh here they sound kind of like those parts in wagner with the weird passing tones mm-hmm. do you know you know what i mean like the da, 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 da. well what yeah like what he's doing on that sample you just played is like he's basically just making a power chord he's playing the two individual notes and then he's playing the power chord together like on the bass tone mm. um but like he's moving around the uh yeah, he's doing it with these weird passing tones and stuff, but the the, the fundamental phrase is like a, a pretty straightforward power chord phrase, which is interesting. Yeah, so, but there are these, there's a melodic contouring to it, just as But um, you're saying it's just organized around a kind of one and five? I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, okay. Yeah. Um, It's... uh. But overall, I would say um, the record seems like he's peeled back a lot of the arrangements, a lot of the Marshall Industrial type stuff, less regular percussion, less um, less of other synths and samples going on, you know, no sort of like uh, um, thunderous war horns, things like that. And it's a lot more focused on the basic building blocks of the music. And at the same time, I think those are being more uh, shaped in a more composed and disciplined way. Um, Yeah, I can get that. I mean, this is definitely not formless music. 
I mean, there, there is definite structure. It's just extremely slow, so it's a little difficult to perceive at times. Yeah, that's a thing that's true. That, that's a feature of Sun's music as well. If you mm-hmm. speed those riffs up, they actually have a lot of notes in them, and I still think that band's bullshit, but, like, <laughs> you know, if somebody once did play it for me twice as fast, and if you speed it up, they are kind of cool, total nonsense riffs. They're a little bit Ledney-esque, honestly. That's kind of neat. Yeah. Um, I've never actually done that experiment, although I've listened to a fair share mm-hmm. of uh, Sun back in the day. Um, mm-hmm. Well, let me let me get to a, another song, which I, I think we both agree this is, like, the best track on the album. Um, yeah. Yeah, so the middle track, Upon Their Head, Names of Blasphemy. This is the one that really caught my ear. This one and the next track, Black Furnace, I think are my favorite songs. There's, mm-hmm. And it's hard to describe why. Um, there's kind of more negative space. Um, like the first and the final tracks on the record are kind of swallowed up by a lot of drone tones, which is fine. But I kind of like the, the big gulfs of silence and... Uh, just, just this sort of weird, alienating, isolated tones surrounded by void. I think that's kind of cool. So let's listen to this one, which is probably, it's also the shortest track, and it's sort of the most active as well. I was just thinking while listening to that, another difference in the way that we listen to this stuff is it was it was funny on the, the previous sample, uh, you know, you were talking about melodic phrases and I was mm-hmm. thinking of like, 
I mean, yeah, I guess there's kind of a melodic phrase there, but I listen to this as primarily textural music, um, almost like you would like a Noiser uh, Power Electronics record, which which may be the incorrect way to listen to this stuff. No, I think it's just the way that... I, I mean, it's just... Of, like, of course we listen to it as textural music. Or, you know, like, I would say that's, like, the, the starting point. And I, I guess because textural music is susceptible to the how is it um what differentiates one exercise in texture from the next thing i'm trying to emphasize the ways that there is sort of vertical movement happening in it and yeah. sort of phrases being developed and things like that that it, that it isn't just textural music in the way that it might seem to on a first listen is yeah. that fair oh no that's, did you, does that make sense no that's that makes sense but i would say that there is distinct stuff that happens here that um even just as textural music does elevate it over others like it's like this is the proof that it's mm-hmm. like oh you could fuck this up um and a lot of it just has to do with like really subtle iterative planning you know the the way whole movements of those sort of like droning synth notes will fade into complete silence before the next sound activates or the the way the passing tones of multiple synth layers will create a sort of harmonic effect between them Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. There, there is a there's depth to this and i i think that this one strikes me in particular is because uh, some of the other stuff gets a little bit swallowed by the drone to me. Um, you know, when the drone is like so omnipresent in the music, it's sort of like it becomes foundational to the whole thing. And I kind of like this where it's sparser and more minimal. And it kinda, it has a way of giving every sound an equal weight, you, you know, um, which I think is more interesting because w- when you're relying on kind of like a bassy drone, it's like there's nothing necessarily wrong with that, but it becomes about that drone in a way that I think limits compositions. If that like makes any drone. sense whatsoever. <laughs> no, I, I'm just saying like, I mean, uh, well, Maybe this would actually be the place to get back to what we were talking about in, during one of the first samples or something, just like, uh, or during that sample, like, um, whether this is, uh, you know, like, yeah, is to what extent is it um, supposed to be crushing and sc- scary, and to what extent is it supposed to be, like, more like ambient music, right? Mm-hmm. And I think... You know, and you had been listening to it sort of like trying to see like, well, is this as sort of uh, crushing and terrifying as the medieval hell theme suggests, right? In the way you might listen yeah. to like a Torture Doom record, mm-hmm. right? Um, I, I assume that was kind of the implication of the way this is presented. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I would say despite that, this is still much more in keeping with his other stuff, which does have this meditative ambient thing to it. And it's less so, I think, even though the music is about divine punishment, the music is, uh, it's less assaultive and more identificatory, I think. Like, you're supposed to sort of immerse yourself in it. Like, there's a certain kind of weirdo, such as me, who just, like, listens to this stuff sort of uh, as ambient music. Um, This record is a little sparse and intense. It's attention-grabbing. 
and very dark, but um, it's still, it, it still is ambient music. But I, I understand the basic point you're making, and I think you're right, that like, it is, it becomes more lively uh, and less just like pure drone in these moments where there's this subtle play of timing an event. Yeah, yeah. No, I think, um, I mean, I'm thinking of uh, some of the guys that I listen to that do sort of like neo-music concrete stuff, where it's um, like just isolated tones and samples and loops in like a void of silence where there is no kind of drone track underpinning Mm -hmm. it. And lately for this kind of music, that's where my head's been more at. Well, okay, so that's, that's good, because one thing that you did, you timed this sample very nicely, uh, in terms of like definite events happening here, things you could fuck up, mm-hmm. there's a thing that happens, there's a feedback squeal, crash cymbal, timpani. And that happens at the beginning and end of the sample. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, and that sort of begins a certain kind of phrasing which leads to the swell of that big arc of feedback. And then that dissipates very, very slowly. And finally, you know, we get another one of those, you know, mm-hmm. and that happens a few times in the middle of it too. But that sort of thing is, um, yeah, a good example of this kind of things ringing in the void. It's also kind of just heavy. It's kind of like the China, China symbol before a beatdown. <laughs> um, and it, uh, it picks up, I feel like anytime you hear that kind of, uh, isolated crashing or chiming in ritual industrial music, you should think of one track, which is How to Destroy Angels by Coil, mm-hmm. which is 12 minutes just of gong. <laughs> um, gong with like sort of, you know, sort of like space in between, right? Uh, and so this this is doubtless influenced by that. And I think probably you would like that track because that's definitely in the vein of like, um, isolated tone events happening in, in uh, negative space. Yeah, that, that does sound pretty cool. Yeah. So, okay. So I'm going to pull from the uh, se- second part of this track. Um, and, you know, in terms of this being something that really does have a definite shape, that big feedback of figure happens three times, each time different. So, um... I'm going to start right where uh, the Death Metal Guys ends, um, and this next one is beginning. Uh, and I want to prime you for this a little bit, but like, listen to, to this feedback. It sounds like a bagpipe.
did you hear the bagpipe? Yeah, no, that that really stuck out to me uh, the first time I listened to this because it's like, oh, there's clearly a very deliberate phrase being played there. Or not a, a phrase, a, a full melodic line. It's just, a, it's so it's so at odds with sort of the underlying tones. Like, you know how you talk about like how in industrial techno, the, the weird distorted kick drums kind of are a melody of their mm-hmm. own. The same kind of thing happens here. Those, those big explosions of bassy drone are sort of their own melody. Mm-hmm. And then the, uh, the sort of bagpipe synth, so to speak, is just so at odds with it as a, a very unique effect. Cool. I'm glad. Yeah. Do, do, do. Yeah, yeah, you've got this like major key thing kind of happening over all this grim stuff, which is interesting. That's and that strikes me as a very coil kind of thing. Yeah, and also a very uh, deep Britain idea. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, it sounds like, um, you know, like bagpipes were su- fucking scary. Right? <laughs> I mean, they were played in wars and at funerals, right? Uh, you know, in the 19th century or 18th century, right, when there are British, when there are uh, Highland Grenadiers, you know, uh, charging an American position or whatever, they're playing bagpipes. And because, uh, you know, um, there would be 200 more years till we invented black metal, the bagpiper <laughs> had to be playing, you know, was playing folk melodies, a lot of which were kind of major Celtic major key, right? So there'd be this like maddening maddeningly perky virile music playing as these just giant highlanders walk towards your you know a little bunch of um you know uh militiamen or whatever uh and it's there's there's kind of uh you know i feel like those kinds of major key bagpipe melodies can have that kind of uh bright fury that you get in some of the newer black metal that has major key stuff in it mm-hmm or even just you know the uh, it has that that interesting effect that you you were the first one to identify of like the uh, w- weird sour major key phrasings popping up in the middle of uh, death metal songs that you know make you feel uneasy because something too happy is happening in the middle of all <laughs> of all this like weird gross chaos you know <laughs> yeah yeah it's also that for sure the incantation yeah it's. It's both of those things. It's the glorious pagan folk melody, and it's the uh, the the you know gut wrenching incantation interval. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, that that makes sense. Cool. And I, I I think um, yeah. I mean, this is clearly like this is the song from the record. It's like yeah. even if I don't revisit and, this record, I'll probably revisit this song. And I kind of feel like this moment, like that specific moment, is the center of the record. Mm-hmm. Like the record is kind of a, not just a delivery mechanism for, but it's directed towards and away from that one melody. Yeah, uh-huh. I, could, I could see that. It's, um, uh, I'm glad it stood out to you in the way it did to me. That makes sense. And then, you know, uh, there's another iteration of that phrase after, which no longer has the melodic thing. Um, it's more like the first one. Uh, and then you know, fades out. And the interesting thing, right, this track, it's, this record doesn't have a perfectly geometric symmetry, but this is the middle track, and uh, the time interval before this track is 22 minutes and 22 seconds, and the time after is 22 minutes and 24 seconds. Um, 
the sort of the the shriek we just heard is a little bit off center time wise from this track so you know it you know it's uh more like a kind of um rough hewn medieval craftsman symmetry right but it this definitely has a kind of um uh an art architectonic to it as a mm-hmm. record definitely yeah i i could see this i mean this clearly does speak to be you know the centerpiece of the album mm-hmm. um so real quick let me get to my last one i just wanted to pull something off um the final track this is the second death so uh record starts with this is the first death and then this is the second death is basically a reprise of a lot of that uh, a lot of the same kind of samples and tones are used but then mm-hmm. there's been augmentation it's been extended etc and this is more. Uh, this is one of the more drone-oriented tracks, just because I felt like we should have something representing that a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do like this more than the first incarnation. There's a little bit more going on. Uh, so let's try that out, and we'll just kind of we'll talk about the mechanics of drone stuff in this kind of music. Yeah, so that's a that's an example of some of the more drone oriented stuff on this album, and I'd say it, that sort of thing probably takes up about a third of the record's running time. Mm-hmm. And as I was saying originally, it's not bad, um, but 
you know, like as a guy who's made some like, uh, you know, spooky ambient music myself here and there, it's kind of hard to get away from the fact that it's like, oh, okay, we're doing like the half step synth alternation for the, the drone line, which is just like, you know, I mean, that's that's just, you know, tension in a box, you know, whenever you want to do it, um, do an appropriately slow spooky synth line that's a, a you know a, a half step rise or something um again nothing wrong with it i mean we always talk about the idea of you know they're just being a vocabulary for any kind of music and there's nothing wrong with using it but in a situation where it's like okay we got a 13 minute track and it's this inherently sparse it definitely leads me to be like okay well you know what, what what have we got going on here you know i mean this is this is like the closing track of the record and while it doesn't sound bad it does feel in some ways to me at least like there's some missed opportunities well i mean i think like you know there yeah i mean here the bass is working more in the way that it did in his old stuff where it is kind of just generating effect mm-hmm. right it's you know back then it, it was more active and kind of like aggressively random here it is uh more yeah here it's like static right just the dum dum you know the funny thing is it doesn't even occur to me to it didn't even occur to me to like tab these out you know what i mean or like to figure out when you were talking about like the fifth earlier i was like hmm like what did you mean and then i got it oh like he's literally trying to figure out the central notes and the bass parts um yeah yeah it it's happening on such a long time frame that i'm not sure i even registered this was just two notes yeah 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 um and you do listen to more doom than i do yeah i think Um, i'm just primed to be able to like pick those super long phrases apart just because I listen to so much of that shit. Yeah, so, I mean, I guess, you know, I'll play the, it's not riff-centered music, bro, card. <laughs> um, but after that, um, but, but after that, I mean, sure, I mean, I think here the center is the sparse stuff happening over it, especially the wind sounds. Yeah, that's fair. Maybe I didn't do this album any favors by listening to it while playing Borderlands.
right, we are back uh, in the the comforting arms of heavy metal. Thank God, got a little bit spooky last segment. Was wondering what show we were on, but now we're we're back. Everything's okay, guys. Um, and we're back with a with a cool one. This is the new record by Corpsest titled Succumb to Rot, out now on Dark Descent Records. For their name, Corpsest, do you think the implication is obsessed or possessed? I didn't even think about possessed. Really? You just went, you just thought like corpse obsessed immediately? Yeah, I, it just seemed like that kind of name. Yeah, but I was like, oh, you know, like uh, possessed by a corpse, there could be like a weird sort of dark mystical thing going on. I don't know. There would have to be some other some other made up word for that, I think. Mm, um, yeah, that's fair. Um, so anyway, um, so Corpsest is a Finnish death metal band that uh, drew my attention. They've been around for a while. Uh, this is the band's fourth, or, uh, yeah, fourth full length record. Started in 2007. First full length came out in 2014, titled Abysmal Thresholds. But I remember when these guys put out their first release, which was an EP called The Dagger and the Chalice back in 2011. And I didn't really pay much attention to it. But then I recently figured out, oh, uh, Maddie from Wormflem uh, is actually one of the main guys here, is uh, one of the original guitarists. Actually, this band's had an almost unchanged lineup for 15 years now, uh, except for uh, bass, which has moved around a little bit. Um, hmm. So uh, obviously I was interested because if anyone hasn't heard, we did the whole Torture Doom episode where I cover Wormflim heavily. Uh, Maddie was kind enough to uh, send some emails back and forth with me, uh, kind of clarifying and uh, telling me more about that scene. And it was just in- incredible conversations. Um, so I started paying attention to some of his other projects, one of them being Corpsest, who have, I believe, been pretty much on Dark Descent from the beginning. Yeah. Um, now, Dark Descent is a label that I've gone on and off with over the years. I think they've had really good periods and they've had periods where I just didn't really like what they were putting out. Um, but it seems like recently they're back on the upswing to stuff that really interests me. And I probably heard the dagger and the chalice way back in the day, but I wasn't really familiar with Corpse S. So this is basically a blind listen. And uh, I was actually really impressed by this record. Uh, not just because, you know, it's affiliated with people that I really respect, but because just it is a remarkably solid, um, very smart take on a sort of meat and potatoes death metal record. Uh this is obviously fully within the sort of uh, fin death school, however you want to define that. Um, it tends to be on the slower side, but not doom death. I want to make that very clear. This is a sort of slower death metal record um, that reaches in a very continuous line way back to originary fin death bands like Ripakolu. Um, and it's really only been slightly updated and modernized. This keeps it really true and pure and connected to its own roots. Um, I think this is just a really wonderfully well-rounded and balanced record. But uh, before we get into the weeds with it, uh, Black Metal Guy, what do you think of this one? It's good. Yeah, um, it's, it's a fun album. <laughs> I think it will probably be one of the best, you know, one of the best death metal records this year would be my guess. Based mm. on, you know, based on the certainly of stuff of the older school, um, it's a uh, yeah. So 
given, you know, one thing that impressed me about Wormflam when we did the Torture Doom episode, right, was how just metal it sounded. <clears throat> right? It, it was mm -hmm. not sort of, um, it wasn't kind of, in other words, I think I probably expected Wormflam to sound a bit more like a really difficult and unpleasant version of the Ten Horned Beast. You know what I mean? Yeah, it, do it doesn't like, have like a foot in art music like a lot of the others did. Well, and uh, yeah, I expected, like, yeah, exactly. I expected maybe it to sound something more like, I don't know, what Senthil actually sounds like, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, you know, more kind of, um, uh, yeah, yeah. Wormflam is really, yeah, rooted around gigantic riffs and chug, and it has sick lead guitar parts. Um, it, uh, it It's very immediately enjoyable as... Not heavy metal, but metal that is heavy. Mm -hmm. um, and so I guess it makes sense that uh, Matty would be really good at this. Um, and, you know, would have really good at playing just classic death metal. Um, the immediate comparison that comes to mind in terms of stuff we've covered is Sepulchral Curse. Yeah, definitely. Right? Who are a much, much younger band who probably, uh, you know, know these guys and have learned from them would be my guess. But, um... Uh, but there are some key differences, right? And that might help outline for our listeners where, where these guys, where Corpsest is at, right? So, um, so the big difference is that Sepulchral Curse used this Swedish Black Death and Finnish Black Metal stuff to generate that epic scope that you associate with Finnish Death Metal, mm -hmm. right? As you know, you wrote that in your notes, but it's definitely true, right? Finnish Death Metal has to have some sort of, you know, uh, some sense of of majesty to it yeah um and vastness um and so sepulchral curse will reach towards this more sort of black metalish stuff to do that um these guys are doing it from entirely within death metal yeah agreed just cool and impressive um other key difference you know uh here there is there are d beat parts or slayer beat parts but there's no overt punk influence Right, uh, mm -hmm. and it is less. Um, and Sepulchral Curse, even the slow parts, except for the very last track on that record, even the slow parts tend to feel kind of fast, mm -hmm. which is part of the vibe, right? This does not. This gives the slow parts space for a different kind of a more uh, meaty kind of crushing. Uh, mm -hmm. um, but it's definitely, like you said, definitely not Doom. Um, and uh, it's it's like a yeah it's like a fast slow. Sepulchral Curse is a fast band. This is uh, Corpse Est is fast slow, uh, <laughs> and the down tempo stuff is uh, this sprawling, uh, you know, underground cathedral sections or just you know bolt thrower stuff. Um, yeah, yeah. I think so, I think the bolt thrower influence is pretty crucial. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that uh, I think we've come. I think we've talked about this a little bit, but we've come yeah, to realize yeah. bolt thrower is kind of like an essential part of the DNA of fin death in a mm -hmm. in, in a way that it probably isn't for a lot of other regions. Um, and I, I think the the other important thing to note here is like sepulchral curse is like a uh, a band that is. It's definitely emphasizing the scope part of Fin Death. Um, it's emphasizing sort of some of the most epic ideas that reach all the way back to bands like Demigod. Um, Corpsest, 
alternately, um, it definitely has those moments of vastness, but they're not, um, you know, Sepulchral, both of these bands sound like their album art. You know, Sepulchral Curse, you have this incredible, this like huge ziggurat of dark majesty and stuff. Corpsest is like a, a really big, fucked up, almost Dolly-esque rotting skeleton on a beach somewhere. It's like they're both big <laughs> in scope, but the, uh, the the meaning of that is is very different. Uh, and the other thing with Corpsest is... Uh, they actually are both giant skeletons. That's true. That Big skeletons means good band in Finland. <laughs> there are both... Um, both bands use... Uh, here's, here's my compare and contrast essay. Both <laughs> bands use giant skeletons on the cover art. There are similarities and differences between the two giant skeletons. <laughs> Perfect. Five paragraphs, that's an A+. Plus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but I, I think the other thing is that... Um, Corpsest are also really, this is a little bit abstract, but I think Corpsest are really into the idea of death metal as like just a contiguous whole. Um, there's, uh, there's a lot of parts of this that you could say, you know, rub up against sort of like sub-genres or sort of adjectival death metal. You've got more technical parts, you've got more brutal parts, you've got kind of doomy parts, etc. But I don't, they're not um, presented as oh, this is the brutal death part, oh, this is the doom death part. These are all contiguous in death metal. All these things existed since the late 80s within it. Um, and I think that's one of the problems with uh, sort of retro style uh, old school death metal, is that it's been flattened out. Um, and as a yeah, result, we should play the sample. Yeah, we should. We should just. Yeah, we should just play sample, shouldn't we? So <laughs> let me um, let me play one because uh, let me play the beginning of "Calling Void," which is a great track, and uh, we'll get into some of the other possible influences for this band uh, after listening to this.
So yeah, obviously that that opening riff is phenomenal. Uh, that it's just such a it's a very simple kind of Phrygian idea, but it's executed with so much confidence. It's outstanding. A, a few things to note. Uh, one, this has one of the best death metal guitar tones I've heard in years. Um, it's it's bassy, it's high gain, but it's also super clear, which is really important when you're doing a lot of very kind of low tremolo riffs for them to mm-hmm. be intelligible at all. Uh, the drumming on this record is understated, but perfect in a way like uh you know those uh those constantly varied staggering fills during that big held chord part in the middle of that sample is just like such mm-hmm. a, a such a perfect sort of early 90s technique and uh, i really like the vocals on this album a lot too you know they've they're they're roaring they've got this kind of ghoulish quality uh, th- that's really neat it's not just a, like a standard growling performance it's got that hoarse kind of strained quality i think that's really cool um so beyond the sort of fin death comparisons, I think another big thing for this album is there's a, a big streak of sort of Tampa death metal. Uh, this in particular reminds me a lot of later Morbid Angel, like Gateways to Annihilation era. Uh, the opening riff on this sample is sort of like a rearrangement of the opening riff to opening of the gates from Gateways. There's also a lot of old deicide across this record, which I was kind of surprised to hear. You know, stuff between the self-titled and Once Upon the Cross that's popping up left and right. Um, it's just a, it's, it's a great uh, melange of all these different ideas from the old school, but it never feels like it's kind of pandering to the idea of old school death metal. Would you say it's a tasty death metal melange? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, we are going to uh, end the podcast and kill ourselves. Um, uh, but, um, uh, yeah, so I just wanted to, like, reply more to what you said about uh, what you were saying before the sample about the sort of um, that the – well, I guess this will sort of get into my next thing, right? Mm-hmm. The, the, the continuum, there's not, like – you can't separate out the more um, uh, majestic parts from the more uh, just gut-punch parts, right? Yeah, There's, yeah. I think that's crucial yeah. to the whole record. I think that is, that, that's a very good point, and it's one thing that makes it so fully realized. Um, and, you know, that's another thing that differentiates it from something like Sepulchral Curse, right? Where uh, it doesn't have the same kind of, like, soaring highs as Sepulchral Curse, right? The same kind of, like, oh, there's the giant riff, the giant trem riff, right? Um, but it's also less susceptible to being picked apart, right? You mm-hmm. can't be like, I, you know, oh, here's the epic part. Oh, here's the crusty part. Oh, here's the grind part, right? Not that, like, I'm not saying this in criticism to several Sepulchral Curse, who I, you know, I've obviously we've we've championed on this show, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a different methodology. A, exactly, yeah. they do a very nice job of integrating those things at a higher level, right? But here, it's like every part is being made from literally the same material in Corpsest, right? Very, very, um, very naturalistic sort of. Yes, song. there's not like different. There's not different kinds of melodies or phrases. There's That's, like. Yeah. There's one kind of melody, which is a corpse-sessed melody. Um, (laughs) Yeah. uh, And so let's get into that here. So, um, you know, uh, for me, I think, well, actually, let's let's continue that uh, train of thought. So um, to me, this is the first place on the record where my ears really perked up is Spiritual Malevolence, the uh, fourth track. 
Um, and uh, in terms of the more sort of, here's an example of what sounds more epic or atmospheric on this record. So, um, coming out of the more atmospheric stuff, right, you, you get the, one of those, uh, um, that kind of staggered descending riff that uh, has, it's like a series of triplets and then a spare beat on the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A- another one of these, like, uh, I guess, compound rhythmic phrases that we've been picking up, like, all year, right? Yeah, yeah. Or usually, I guess, I usually mean, last more on the black too. metal side. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. And, and now we're hearing it here, which is cool. Yeah, yeah, the the Narboleth thing. Um, and here instead, not like a spare measure, just a single spare beat, or just one longer measure, I guess. So I guess that is the spare measure. Um, it's, uh, but yeah, so um, really cool sort of, uh, that's one of the bigger riffs on the record in terms of just like moments or phrases that stand out from the continuum. Uh, and then just it just we just enter the grind, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I, it's um very satisfying. You know, they do a kind of um a, they do kind of a subtle move with the rhythm there, and then just release into just the most viscerally satisfying, just snaky chug part, right? Yeah, um, yeah. It's uh, it, it's that's a really good just sequence of you know organically developing riffs throughout that whole sample 
Yeah, absolutely. The I mean, most songs, I think all these songs have like one core phrase that is in a bunch of the riffs. Um, mm -hmm. they, they really like start from one riff and then write a bunch of variations on it, I think. Um, I mean, this, this whole record is just in terms of melodic ideas, like sort of deliberately restricted. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But but in a cool way. No, uh, yeah, I, yeah, very, very um, restricting themselves to a, a very specific set of intervals and melodic it's motifs. The, it's the discipline of it's the discipline of masters, right? Yeah. Uh, to do that, that happens most naturally at the beginning of a style. Uh, I think when you're sort of uh, when just the bare building blocks of the phrases have an inherent interest and newness to them, and you're just inventing the parts, right? Uh, and to do that when a thing has been around for you know twenty years or more, really is um, you know that that is the to get at the roots, the root impulses of the thing like that, and express it, uh, you know, generate power from simple forms, right? right. That's 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 master stuff. Originary, mm -hmm. not original. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, they're speaking to us from early Finnish death metal. Um, or rather, early Finnish death metal is speaking through them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and but so also, then I want to do a real quick rewind back to the um, you know, the big event there is that spare is that sequence. But you know, the noodle, the spacey stuff at the beginning of it. This is maybe the only record where I'll ever use the word noodly as a positive. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. And it's like. There isn't there people who are uh, thirst for quote unquote the riffs as they are called on the internet will be unhappy with this record because there isn't anything that sounds like Argoslan, right? Yeah. You know they're not going to play some sort of big glorious Dorian scale melody, right? Um, the part that um, uh, the, the 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 all of the sense of um, titanic vastness comes from these moments where it opens up and they've got as you pointed out some synths and they've got this um sort of ebbing and flowing noodling lead work over it and um it really recalls these you know really like override of the overture from dismember mm -hmm. right yeah um and you know certain i'm sure there's shit like that on demigod right but really what it is is they take certain really cool moments of early 90s death metal records where that you almost wish there was more of on those records and they say like why don't we make that into a standard part of our songwriting so pretty much every like half or more of these songs open up into spaces like this and instead of being filler or intro or outro you know on the dismember record that sort of uh that sort of event gets it, it, on the dismember event record. It's a one-off event that's mm -hmm. part of the intro, right, or part of the big first track, right. Uh, and then um, the rest of the record is a lot more straight ahead. Here, they're like taking that idea and making it uh, integral to the whole thing, and yeah. that's very cool. Well, I think I think that what that taps into is just. Um... <clears throat> The sort of rediscovery of the potential of actual old school death metal, um, kind of like I was saying before, you know, so much retro style old school death metal flattens everything out. Mm -hmm. um, it it doesn't really actually appreciate the breadth of the kind of things that were going on in the original era. Mm -hmm. um, you know that you had. 
you know, th- these sort of riffs that suggest, like, gothic architecture and stuff, mm-hmm. those didn't just belong to black metal back in the day, you know what well, I mean? Well, and, the, the, and there was a place that the, yeah, well, we were talking about that with the, you know, sort of Swedish black death almost having its own, just being its own thing and evolving before epic riffs in black metal proper. Yeah, um, yeah, and I... And, also, but also just with death metal, death metal, right? There's a place where black metal bands were getting it. <laughs> yeah, you know. I mean, I, I don't think it's it's, it's uh, almost as though it's it's been forgotten that black metal formed as a sort of reaction to death metal. At least the second wave did. Um, so yeah, it's, it's like it's sort of an idea of what death metal was supposed to be, right? Yeah, we are not like those Swedish death metal <laughs> with their puffy sneakers, you know. Um, yeah, but it's like it's in in old school death metal. There's room for so much, and so much of it has been flattened out into either Swedish death metal or incantation worship nowadays. But I mean that that misses out on this enormous wellspring of ideas that were present in the early '90s. And Corpsest is the kind of band that actually understands the breadth of the ideas that were available back then, and that's how they can make stuff that sounds clearly contiguous with the old school while still being so much more varied and so much more exciting than most of the people pretending to that sort of thing. Yeah, all right. So, uh, speaking of exciting, let's go to... Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, the, the next two samples are just the crushing ones. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, this, in terms of the structure, I guess I should speak to that now, right? So, Spiritual Malevolence is, to me, the first real banger, that last one I sampled. Mm-hmm. But this speaks to another thing, just like the master worksmanship and the riffing. This is a confident record, okay? So, like... Um, the the virgin move is to put your best track as your second track because you're 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 really hoping everyone hears the best track mm-hmm. right got to put the best track on the second track the uh the the chad move is that you just start with some songs <laughs> you, you, you know and you you let the uh you let the most powerful, uh, or you, you you let the most sort of densely or intensely composed tracks, the most your best tracks, you let those come in where they will to create a good structure for the album. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and it shows a real confidence because it's there is something our music is inherently compelling. We don't need to put the catchy or impressive one at the beginning because just the sound of the music is compelling. And so someone can hear even our sort of like B tracks or just like sort of um, uh, meat and potatoes tracks. They can hear those and be immediately struck by them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, it's a, that's definitely the case here. I, I, I agree with you. This is a uh, this is one of those cases of a record where it seems like every song that comes is topping the one before it. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, brutally topping it. So, um, on that note, Profane Phlegm. This is the end of the track.
man, they don't do it a lot, but when they actually reach full speed blasting, it is just flattening in a way that it is not for most death metal bands. Absolutely, yeah. Um, th- that's an awesome riff. Yeah, really? and, it's, and it's so simple. You know, it's a riff that certainly has to exist already, but when they play it, they own it. You know, <laughs> well, it, it's got a really sickening chromatic thing at the bottom that's not the one you expect, right? I mean, it's it's the basic pattern of the da da da, you know, the one one to minor six, big big, uh, you know, big thing, right? It's something like that, but there's they put some twist on it that yeah, probably someone else has played that riff before, uh, or something very close to it, but there is something original. There's something like there's something that is specific to this band about the craftsmanship there. Mm-hmm. They are really good at placing these sort of sickening chromatic notes. Yeah. Um, which is, which and, is cool. And I, I, that's, yeah. that's almost, well, I mean, that's almost one of those things that's forgotten in a yes, lot of like a, modern old school death metal. You know? That's because the note, that's because it's been routinized to certain scales and a couple like intervals that make it sound like incantation. Right. Yeah. Even when you're trying to make something really nasty, right. You'll be like, Oh, throw in the unexpected major fifth here, right? It's um, and so this band is more just like tailoring grotesquerie to each riff, um, <laughs> and um, that, that'll go on the sticker on the album. <laughs> tailoring grotesquerie to each riff, terminus. So. <laughs> it's um, but yeah, and so in terms of influences, there, right? That um, uh. The blast part, that's the energy I, one of the two energies I really associate with Ripakulu. Oh, yeah. Um, Ripakulu's blast parts are the heaviest fucking things in the world. Yeah. The simple power chord wall blasts um, that it just, uh, just devastate. Um, and, you know, this is the only part on the record that really has anything to do with black metal proper, and that's only because Ripakulu and Convulse are kind of drawing from that energy as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know. Um, I mean, Ripakulu is definitely like pagan death metal, if if that's ever been yeah. a thing. It's oh yeah. yeah, I love the juxtaposition of the cover, the the way the cover primes you to hear the music. Yes, so cool. <laughs> we we right. definitely will do a bonus episode about Ripicolo because I know yeah. that's a favorite of both of ours. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, so yeah, they're you know both both those bands are approximate in a number of ways to a number of early black metal bands, but this is um, you know, this is death metal blast beats and those vocals. Oh my god, the extended howl. Do you think that's a sustained thing or it's drawn out with? I, I, I think it's sustained. I, I That's this is, awesome. This has the, the a, snarl. Are there two people or one? Because the snarl at the end of it that finishes the phrase, if that's just one thing the whole time, that is so sick. As far as I, I think Maddie does some backing vocals for the band. Mm. Yeah, because yeah. you can you can tell occasionally there's a couple different voices. Um but yeah, no, it's a uh, I, I again on the vocals. I love the that ghoulish roaring quality they have. You don't really hear that so much these days. You know, this more open throated thing. I love just the way he tears off the phrase at the end. It's like it, it, it just sounds like um, really disappointed in the. In the <laughs> well, it's because there's actual power behind him. 
You know, yes. it's like they're you can tell these yeah. are vocals delivered at an extremely high volume while recording. Yes. It's it, it's a contemptuous throwdown at the end, you know. Yeah. Wow, animal <laughs> snarl. And speaking of throwdown, right? That yeah. first riff. Dong 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 they might just turn that exact phrase into the blast actually um yeah i think that's but, just uh, the same thing just as a trim riff yeah 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 i think i think it is um so that right note for note almost could be on a modern beatdown hardcore record yeah yeah it could um except there wouldn't be so much movement in it and they'd either play it faster or slower mm-hmm. they wouldn't exist in that no man's land lower mid-tempo thing yeah, this is something, it's played like death metal, um, and it is, um, but, you know, like you said before, they're not afraid of just doing visceral, brutal shit, right? Yes, um, indeed. Yeah. <laughs> what a wonderful segue, Black Metal Guy, to my <laughs> final sample. We gotta talk about that closing track, Numa Akathartos. Holy fuck, this is the way you end an album. Um, and I, I'm going to, if you'll permit me a, a tiny rant, I, I, I want to talk about like a, a misunderstanding people seem to have about old school death metal. And I think this mostly comes from fucking younger kids. Um, I, I think that over time for, for some reason, there's, uh, become a confusion about what makes old school death metal really cool and really interesting and worth continuing with. And I think that misunderstanding is that it was, like, inherently smarter or more artistic mm. than what's going on. You know, it's like... And also cooler, more, quote, aesthetic. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. It, it, it's like, and I don't know what fucking records some of these people are listening to when they make that assessment. Because the cool thing about a lot of old school death metal is how retarded it is. How just, like, mean and degenerate a lot of it is like there's just like idiotically heavy primitive shit across all of these classic old school death metal records that for some reason people have forgotten like just the idea of ultra primitive caveman open note chug riffs those litter old school death metal records but it seems like you know when groove metal and metalcore really started to get some steam behind them, those got jettisoned by death metal, and everyone pretended they never existed, like they'd never played a fucking obituary record before or something. Mm-hmm. Corpsest is a band that uh, features none of those virginal insecurities. So, <laughs> so that's the other sticker on the album cover. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So let's uh, let's listen to this. Going to be a, a, a somewhat long sample. But there's a reason for it. So let's listen to let's listen to what happens when grown ass men play chug riffs.
dude, how how many moments of just like mosh violence are present in that two and a half minutes? <laughs> two and a half minutes of them. <laughs> it's just continuous, and that's the thing. Is like, I mean, you're you're certainly correct when you say, oh, that's a thing that like beat down hardcore bands would play. Basically, any of those could be. But it's like, I think at this point, maybe they just got them all from fucking old school death metal. Because it's like, yeah, it's like when we talked about that 200 Stab Wounds record, it's like, what's the hardcore riff? What's the death metal riff? The answer is yes. Yeah, I think they would agree. I think they would agree to that. If anything, like um, that stuff sounded less old school death metal to me than some of those bands seemed to think it sounded. But you're right that they're probably drawing some of the beatdown riffs specifically are just patterned on shit like this, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's it's very easy to see a way you get to this album basically from Ripicolu alone, you know? <laughs> like, in isolation, if, you, if you're on a desert island, that's if Musta Ceremony is the only thing you have to listen to, which would not be a bad pick, frankly. Um, you could just make this album from those constituent parts. Um, but again, I want to get back to the idea that like death metal was, you know, it, for some reason, we've got this reformed idea of like death metal as high art music. It was designed to, you were supposed to be killing people in the mosh pit to it. You were supposed to have this immediate physical energy. So all of these fucking death metal bands now that, you know, are just obsessed with space and geometry and shit like that. No. Unless I can, unless unless your space songs make me want to actually commit a homicide in a pit, I don't know if that's really death metal. 